This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of November 8th, 2021. Our first game with Ken Jennings returning in season 38 as host. And uh, Johnny Gilbert introduced him with the words, hosting Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, which did Hmm. not state whether he was the host of Jeopardy or a guest host, but simply that he is hosting. Mm -hmm. Which which is clearly intentional because it's a change of language, but I'm not sure what that's pointing to yeah because it's different from what he said with Maya Bialik isn't it I think so because I I feel like I would have noticed that yeah so it's Um, just I don't know interesting I I felt like Ken I don't know if Ken talks Jeopardy strategy during the game more than other hosts or if he just knows Jeopardy strategy better than other hosts (laughs) um I mean, I'm but sure I he does. But I felt like he was like ha- mostly hosting, but then sometimes coaching a little bit in a way that felt a little different. Yeah, like co- commentary on some wagering and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that. That was, that was interesting. Which I mean, if Ken Jennings wants to join us on the podcast and talk about strategy and everything, we are right here. We are right here. I, uh, you know what? I'll tweet at him. He definitely does not get a lot of. Twitter mentions, so he'll he'll notice it immediately. <laughs> so we have Ken back at the host lectern. And uh, on Monday, November 8th, we have the contestants Elena Passarello, a writer and college professor from Corvallis, Oregon. Dane Rygard, an editor from Los Angeles, California. And Kate Cohn, a communications manager from Washington, D.C., whose one-day cash winnings total $20,000 even. And we get the Jeopardy! round categories from the mountains to the prairies. Invention. Fix the Elton John lyric. Animal expressions. Getting into the spirits. And legal E with double E in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Dane had a really good time with that uh, Elton John lyric category, and I also yes, did, did too. I, I that was that was fun. Um, they they messed up kind of the title the title lyrics uh, from each song, and you had to you had to give the correct title. Um, it's like the thousand dollar clue was get back hognose bat. You better get back <laughs> to the woods. Uh, but that's that's honky cat. Mm -hmm. The Daily Double in this round was in the invention category at the $800 level, and Kate found it at the 24th pick. Uh, She had $3,000 at this point to Dane's $5,400 and Elena's $2,800, and she wagered just $1,000 and got the clue, Yoshitada Minami put an automatic turnoff on this kitchen device, and in four years, half of Japanese homes had one. And she looked stumped for a minute, and then at the last second guessed what's a rice maker, mm-hmm. and that is correct. Um, and Ken did a little coaching or, you know, <laughs> correcting there, said you, you could have bet bigger, you'd be in the lead. 
So way to rub it in, Ken. <laughs> like, you know, like if when you've watched somebody almost miss it, like. Right. If she hadn't had that that moment, you know, that that split second of realization, she would have gotten it wrong. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Dane's at 6,600, Kate's at 4,600, Elena's at 4,000, and we have the double Jeopardy round categories, The City Has Fallen, Seven Letter Words, Russians, Movie Stars, Writing the Governess, and National Historic Landmarks. Um, and there was a there was a, an audible groan from Kate and Elena <laughs> yeah. as the Russians category came out because Dane had talked about studying abroad in russia i think it was Mm -hmm. um uh during the little interview segment and so they sort of already knew that that one would be in his wheelhouse but actually yeah he only only ended up getting one of them uh Mm -hmm. it was the two thousand dollar clue born in saint petersburg in 1846 he inherited his dad's small jewelry business at the exact age of 24 damn got it that's fabergé that to me, is not a $2,000 clue. Yeah. Like, because, uh, obviously, listeners can't see it, but eggs act was spelled E-G-G-S-A-C-T. Mm-hmm. It's like yes. jewelry and eggs, St. Petersburg. I mean, Jeopardy people probably know the name Fabergé. Yeah, and just above that, at the $1,600 level, we had a triple stumper. In the 1960s, this Russian-born man designed stained glass windows for Jerusalem's Hadassah Hebrew Medical Center. Elena tried who was Tiffany, um, I guess thinking, you know, somebody famous for stained glass, which that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it that was not correct, and it turned into a triple stumper. Uh, Mark Chagall was the answer. Um, and we've said this before on the podcast, Russian Jewish artist on Jeopardy is going to be a Pavlov for Chagall. Which I finally remembered! Yay. I was like, oh, Russian, Jewish, I don't know if he does glass, but gotta be Chagall if it's not mm-hmm. him and I don't know the, I've never heard the name, so. Yep. I learned something from the podcast, even if no one else has, so. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Which is really what it's all about. It's really about us. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a, a kind of a unfortunate miss and rebound in The City Has Fallen Category at the $2,000 level. Uh, this anthem inspiring city to the allies, August 28, 1944. Uh, Dane got in and said, what is Marseillaise? Which is incorrect because the name of the city is Marseille, which Elena mm-hmm. got the rebound on. And yep. he had a very big reaction to it, which I don't, I, I'm sure Elena knew Marseille anyway. Like, I, I'm sure she knew it, but I feel like having a really big reaction like that can kind of clue the others in that, like, yeah. Oh, I was close. I just made this, you know, I, I slipped up and made a dumb mistake, mm-hmm. which might make, give them a little more confidence to guess something that is similar. Yeah. I don't blame them, though. If I'd done the same mistake, I'd have been like, oh, I, you know, I'd be slapping my forehead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Daily Double number two is in the historic. That National Historic Landmarks category uh, at the $800 level. It's pick number 23, so they're coming late in the round. Uh, Dane finds it. He's at 19,800. Uh, Kate is at 3,800, and Elena is at 10,400. And uh, he wagers 4,000 and gets the clue Temple Square. And they showed a picture in this state capital was designated a landmark in 1964. And he gets it correct with what is Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And then back to back, he finds the next Daily Double on the next pick. 
at the $1,600 level of the city has fallen. Scores are the same, except at this point, Dane is at 23,800. He wagers 3,000 this time and gets the clue Caracas to this man's forces, August 6th, 1813. And he looks like he's, you know, he doesn't know it and ends up saying who is Napoleon rather than saying nothing. Uh, Simone Bolivar is who we were looking for here. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Dane is in the lead at 19,600. Uh, he had a couple of misses at the very end of the round and Elena was able to get in on a few. So she's up to 14,000. So it's much closer than it was before. And Kate is at 3,800. And we get the final Jeopardy round category, Names in African-American History, and the clue, he was Virginia's first African-American congressman whose grandnephew, a famous poet, used his last name as a first name. Uh, Kate wrote, who is Langston with three or four question marks all over the the board, Uh, but that is correct. Mercer Langston was the congressman and langston hughes is the poet they're talking about and she wagered everything so she doubled up elena also got it with who is langston she wagered uh six thousand three hundred twenty two and dane also got a correct who is langston and he got a or he made a cover bet actually he he made a not a cover bet what would you call it he bet enough to be exactly double of elena's score oh so because so he, like he, he ended up at 28,000, which was exactly yeah, it's double. like a, what, what do you call that? Like a tie bet? I guess, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was purposeful or if it was a mistake. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Elena did not go all, go all in, so it did not end up mattering. Andy over at the Jeopardy fan feels that it was a terrible idea for Dane to bet for the tie. <laughs> it's uh, just one more, one more dollar, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says trailing contestants should take note for tomorrow. Um, ah, yes. Pay attention yeah. that Dane bets that way. Yep. Yeah. Um, so maybe they did. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Hillary Sabeni, a histri- historian from Honolulu, Hawaii. Greg Zona, a principal from West Grove, Pennsylvania. And Dane Rygard. An editor from Los Angeles, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 28000 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, The Beginning, Movie Rewards, Potpourri, Another One Bites the Crust, Crossword Clues H, and The End. You name the literary work from which the last line is provided. We had a funny moment in movie rewards at the $1,000 level. The clue was at the end of a 2009 movie, this title guy is offered his dream job, but instead continues to protect shoppers at the West Orange Pavilion. And Dane rang in and sort of like with self-consciousness that he was and pride that he was saying a thing that is weird to say on TV. He said, what is Paul Blart Mall Cop? And then Ken acknowledged, you know, that he got to say <laughs> uh, say that oh, on Jeopardy. Yep. Which I had never heard of. So, you You've know. never heard of the cinema classic starring Kevin James, Paul Blart Mall Cop? I don't believe I have. So, uh, nor the sequel, so. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, that one, of course. <laughs> no, I'd heard of the sequel. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realize that there was one before it. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> really yeah. funny. It is exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And you don't need I, to see I it. I assume that this is one of those that's never been on Jeopardy before. I would I would think clues. so. Yeah. Right, like that that seems Oh no, it it, 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 actually, has, it has it has it has. Ah. Oh man. Only one person has rung in and said who what is Chumbawamba, but apparently several <laughs> people have rung in and said what is Paul Blart Mall Cop. I'm, I'm the one person for Oh! (laughs) Didn't Um, quite realize that. Just in case any of the listeners didn't didn't catch what I was throwing. Alright. Daily Double number one is in the beginning at the $1,000 level. It's pick number nine. Uh, Hillary finds it. She is at 1,800. Dane's at 2,200. Greg is at negative 200. And she wagers 1,200. And gets the clue. Around 650 BC, Greek colonists founded a city on the Bosporus that they called this. It would later be the capital of empires. And she takes a while before eventually settling on what is Constantinople. But uh, when it was founded, it was called Byzantium. And they were mm-hmm. looking for Byzantium. Yep. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Dane is up to 5,600, Greg is at 1,200, and Hillary is also at 5,600. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, some creatures great and small, art critics, let's talk business, first names with character, world cities, and two-word palindromes. Mm -hmm. That was a fun category. It was. I enjoyed that one a lot. The uh, $800 clue, a Wanako relative's shopping complex. Complex. That's a that's a llama mall. Which now mm-hmm. I want to I want to see a llama mall. I'm picturing a llama mall in my head, and it looks. Does it wonderful. contain Guanaco relatives, or does it contain contestants in the Learned League? No, it contains <laughs> uh, like the animal llama. I yeah yeah yeah. They struggled with this category. Also with the Let's Talk Business category. Mm-hmm. Only one correct response in that category. Yeah. 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 Two correct responses in two-word palindromes? Yeah. Yeah, it was a little little tough. I was pleased with myself for doing pretty well in the Let's Talk Business category. A lot of this is relevant to my spouse's work. So uh, it was it was nice to just keep shouting out correct answers as the, <laughs> as the contestants let them all time out. Yeah. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. We all know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the art critics category at the $1,200 level. Dane finds this one at the sixth pick. He's at 9200 at this point, tied with Hillary. Greg is trailing way behind at 1200 Dane wagers 3000 and gets the clue. Lawrence Alloway is credited with this two-word term for work that uses comic strips, soup cans, and the like as subject matter. And Dane gets that one. It's pop art. Mm-hmm. He seemed pretty pleased about that. Yeah. One. And then Daily Double number three is toward the end of the round. It's at pick number 26. Uh, it's the $1,200 level of Let's Talk Business. Hillary finds it, and she is at 12800 
just behind Dane's 16,600 and ahead of Greg's 4,400. And she wagers 4,000, which I like. And she gets the clue, it's the horticultural term for a largely unregulated private partnership group using speculative investment strategy. She takes a while and then says, what is a hedge farm? There is silence and then says, fund, what is hedge fund? I imagine that Ken was probably looking at the judges. Yep. Wait, like waiting for like a thumbs up or thumbs down or like for, you know, an indication in his earpiece, because if you're going to say no, not a hedge farm, you need to be pretty sure. Like, I think that even if they ruled no, likely they would have stopped right there. Right. Because like we're at the 26th clue of double jeopardy and like. And that's a big wager. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to have a reversal a few clues later. You need to get this right and you need to get it right at the moment. Yeah. Um and so I assume that Ken was waiting for a ruling when she corrected herself. I also think that maybe she like the term hedge fund maybe was like the first thing to come to mind, but it hedge didn't register for her as horticultural. Yeah. And so she was trying to, like, shoehorn, like, a plant word in there. Um, it was like, well, maybe it's hedge farm, you know, and then, like, and then, and then you know, sort of corrected herself. Yeah. So she was not ruled incorrect. Until you're ruled incorrect, you can change your answer. So mm-hmm. it's all it's all above board within the rules. It was just a rather long pause It was there. a long, <laughs> significant pause. Yeah. But she moves up. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Hillary has taken the lead. She's at 16,800. Dane's at 16,600. And Greg is at 4,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category, 1970s songs. And the clue, in 1976, Bohemian Rhapsody was replaced at number one on the UK charts by this Europop song, whose title is heard in Queen's lyrics. This was a triple stumper. I was not able to figure it out in time either. Did you did you get this one, Kyle? I did not. And man, I was scouring those lyrics. Uh-huh. I was like trying and to I was trying to sing to the whole song in my head in, in 15 seconds, right? <laughs> it's a long song. <laughs> yeah, I did not I did not get there. Mm-hmm. So Greg did not come up with anything. He has what is question mark, question mark, question mark. But it doesn't matter because he wagered zero. Dane responded, what is Waterloo? Apparently the correct group. Yeah. And uh, wagered 9801. That drops him down to 6799. Uh, Hillary responded, what is Carry On? Uh, She made a cover bet, 16601. But since she missed, that drops her way down uh, Mm -hmm. to 199. Um, So Dane finishes as a two-day champion. Yeah. That was a tough um, one. <laughs> yeah. And uh and Mamma Mia is the response we were looking for here. Yeah. Um gosh, yeah. Which once Ken said it, I was like, Oh, oh yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, you know, now that section it. of the lyrics is in my head and I'm not trying to go through the entirety of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Man, dude, that was a tricky one. I I think it's uh-huh. a good question. It was just that kind of time limit is really hard. Yep. So on Wednesday we have the contestants. Andrew He, a software developer from San Francisco, California. 
Mary Camella, a school librarian from Buffalo, New York, and Dane Rygard, an editor from Los Angeles, California, whose two-day cash winnings are now $34,799. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. First things first, lakes and rivers, celebrity entrepreneurs, B in quotation marks, plus two letters, up all night, and mythical misses. I don't know why we have to keep acknowledging the $200 level of celebrity entrepreneurs. <laughs> uh, but we, we found out where Goop got, got its name. Uh, she was told successful internet companies have double O's in their names. She put them between her initials to make Goop. That's Gwyneth Paltrow. Hmm. Huh. Which is about as much thought as is put into probably anything <laughs> with that company. Yeah. Yep. 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 Daily double number one is in the lakes and rivers category at the $600 level. And Andrew finds it at the 13th pick. He has 4,800 at this point to Dane's 2,200. Um, Mary's at, in the red at negative 1,400. And he makes it a true daily double. Um, yeah. I appreciate a bold move. And, uh, he gets the clue. Clouds of dust from the exposed bed of Lake Teshkoko add to the air pollution of this world capital. He doesn't know. He tries what is Buenos Aires. Uh, that is Mexico City. Yeah. The X in uh -huh. there points to that. Aztec mm -hmm. origin. Yep. Also, Mexico City is terribly polluted. <laughs> yeah. If you know that yeah. fact as well. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Buenos Aires mean, like, the name of it mean, like, like, like good, good air? air. Yeah. yeah, basically, um, yeah. That would, it would be, it would be interesting, like, an interesting <laughs> trivia fact if, like, if there were, like, just completely out of control air pollution. But, uh, uh, the, yeah, I, I can see how maybe he, maybe he thought in that direction, like, because of that. I don't know. Possibly. Anyway. Oh, and I really felt for Mary on the very last clue of this round. B plus two letters uh, at the $200 level is the, the 30th pick. The clue was Slugger from Louisville. And Mary, who's just been trying to get out of the red the entire round, rang in and then froze up and yeah. didn't have anything. Mm. And then Andrew got the rebound and said, what's what's a baseball bat? And you could, like, Mary facepalmed at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, poor Mary. Ugh. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Dane's at 4,600. Andrew is at 4,000. Made it back up to 4,000. Mary's at negative 800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. They turned my book into a movie, Caribbean History, the Shirley Booth, sitcoms, science and nature, and word origins. The Shirley, like Shirley Booth is an actress, but the category is just about people named Shirley. I am confused by, by the category title, The Shirley Booth. Well, it's a booth where Shirley's are. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Is there anything <laughs> more to it? Like I, I, if it does refer to something more, I have no idea. Okay. All right. Well, I, I feel better now then. Good. <laughs> I felt like the they turned my book into a movie category was difficult, except they got all of them. So just by difficult, I guess I mean these were titles that I knew 
were books before they were movies, but most of them I didn't know the author. That's kind of how I felt, too. The only one I was like, I, yes, that is a book that turned into a movie. Right. Yes. The only one yes, that I is. was able to get was Dune, because it's like, I know that's Frank Herbert. I know that. Yeah, I got Dune, and I did manage to straighten out my Goldman versus Golding confusion. And I had that uh, I had that thought. I remember that con- conversation we had, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, but which one? But what is it? Not like, oh, I couldn't remember it. And then it said Goldman. I was like, oh, yeah, that, right, right. I remember we talked yeah. about that. He, he looked pleased with himself when he got Goldman also. I sort of wondered if he <laughs> had the same, same thought. <laughs> that same Goldman Golding mix up. Or maybe he just uh, likes the. Ple- uh, or, you know, or just what just likes the Princess Bride. Yeah. Which yeah. people are known to do. Mm-hmm. Ken and I have, I guess, similar taste in that he, he went out of his way to note that he, that uh, Sports Night. The sitcom is a great show, which it's a little dated now, but I guess I agree. Sure. So Daily Double number two is in the science and nature category at the $800 level. Andrew finds it at pick number 20. He is at $12,400. Dane's at $13,400. Mary's at $3,200. And he bets it all. He bets it all, which you know what? I like it. Mm-hmm. It's risky, but I like it. It's also an $800 clue, so if you're going to bet it all, that's the best shot you have. Yep. Because he gets a clue, the Little Dipper is part of this constellation. And he knows that that is Ursa Minor. Mm-hmm. And then five clues later at pick 25, Dane finds Daily Double number three in the Word Origins category at the $1,200 level. He's at 13,800, uh, just a little ahead of where he was before. Um, Andrew is up at 25,200 and Mary's at 4,800 and Dane also bets it all. Yeah. I, it's, it's a, it's a good move. I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe, maybe save a little bit for Final Jeopardy. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm, um, but if you're going for the win, it's the right call. Yeah. I mean, I think the the one thing to keep in mind here is if you're gonna if you're gonna bet it all on pick twenty five with your contestant at twenty five thousand, like this is like if you miss, like that that's it. You're mm-hmm. handing them a lot game. There's not enough money left on the board right. to um, to make it back into contention. So, but he bets it all, and his clue is this poison gets its name partly from the Greek for dark blue. And he gets that one correct. It's cyanide. Yeah. So uh, he jumps up into the lead. Andrew picks up a few more clues uh, going into the end of the round. So mm-hmm. when we go to Final Jeopardy, Mary's at 4,800. Dane is at 26,000. And Andrew is at 30,000. Mm-hmm. Which is impressive. <laughs> yep. Uh, and the Final Jeopardy category is world population. And the clue, this Asian nation is the world's most populous country that lies mostly in the Southern Hemisphere. Mary guessed what is India, and that is incorrect. Uh, India is not mostly in the Southern Hemisphere, but she wagered nothing, so she stays at 4,800. Dane wrote what is Indonesia, uh, which is correct, and he wagered Twenty-five nine ninety-nine, everything but a dollar. So he goes up to fifty-one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Andrew also wrote what is Indonesia and made a cover bet of twenty-two thousand one. So Andrew wins with fifty-two thousand one dollars, 
And Dane gets second place with $51,999, which is, again, I, I don't pay attention to the numbers so much, but that's got to be up there for second place yeah. scores. Uh-huh. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oof. That's tough. Yep. But it was exciting as an audience member. Like, as someone watching, it was exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Andy at the Jeopardy fan says, is the second highest non-leading score going into Final Jeopardy in the history of the show behind only Adam Levin on April 29th, 2019. There um, we go. Yeah. So, on... Thursday, we have the contestants Tucker Shope, a PhD student from Starkville, Mississippi, Willa Perlmutter, a lawyer from Portland, Oregon, and Andrew He, a software developer from San Francisco, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 52,001. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, music stuff, blood, two-letter words, the rest is history. Serving and trays. That's T R E Y S. And these are um, people who are, you know, the third. The third. Yeah. We had yet another Haile Selassie question. Yep. In the rest is history at the $400 mm -hmm. level in 1936. Ethiopia's emperor, Haile Selassie, appealed for help against Italian aggression to this organization, which was no help, and that was the League of Nations. I don't know. I don't know. Someone. Someone recently got really interested in Haile mm -hmm. Selassie and the Ethiopian yep. Empire, apparently, in the writer's room. <laughs> in that category, I also uh, learned something at the $1,000 level. I never I never actually knew why it was called this. Um, so the clue is, locally, this early 1900s Chinese secret society was called the Righteous and Harmonious Fists. <laughs> Foreigners <laughs> uh, gave them this name, and that's the Boxers. Andrew got it. Uh, so I I never knew why it was the Boxer Rebellion. I have no idea. I just knew that the Boxer Rebellion was a thing. And apparently it's because there's a secret society that we called the Boxers. So Yeah. I'll need to look into that more. I enjoyed the $800 level of music stuff. Uh, synonyms for member names of this band include provocative... Eerie, athletic, infant, and luxurious. Um, and Andrew figured that one out. That's the Spice Girls. Yes. Eerie and luxurious Spice were my favorites, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Wait, are they using provocative as a synonym for ginger? I guess. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, because eerie is spooky, right? Scary spice. Scary right? spice. Spooky spice. Uh, scary so spice. Got, yeah, yeah, we've got scary spice. spice we've got sporty, sporty spice, spice. We've got baby, baby spice and posh. posh. Yeah, and I guess and ginger. ginger. So I don't know. <laughs> does that does ginger mean provocative, or are we getting uh, a certain insight into one of the Jeopardy writers? Yeah. Uh, interesting. I don't want to think about that too much. Huh. I'm going to move on. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the blood category. Blood at the $600 level. Pick number 13, Andrew finds it. He's at 7,400. Will is at 400 and Tucker's at 1,400. And he bets it all. And he gets a clue. Hemoglobin in blood carries oxygen to the tissues and also holds two-thirds of the body's content of this element. And he gets it right with what is iron? 
So by pick number 13, Mm -hmm. he is up to 14,800. Mind blowing. Yes. Um, Uh, So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Andrew is up to 18,600. Will is at 800 and Tucker's at 3,200. And I got the impression that Tucker was not, not too pleased. Um, (laughs) He seemed, he seemed a bit frustrated, which I totally get. Like, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's trying to get in on the buzzer. I'm sure he knows the answers. And it's just, you see that, that score ticking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have the Double Jeopardy categories, women authors, doggone cinema, fairies, as in, like, boats, France versus America, dig that archaeology, and Je Portmanteau, which we've seen before. That's a, yep. that's a category they've used before. That was, a that was fun. Another yeah. fun one. I enjoyed those. And, uh, Willa did particularly well in them, in that category. Yeah. She got four out of five. Wait, did mm, Andrew's got two? Yeah, she got three. Three. Oh, out of five. I don't know why. Yeah. There's a W in Andrew, and I just assumed it was Willa. She got mm-hmm. three out of five. We had a miss turned into a triple stumper at the two thousand dollar level of fairies. Manhattan and Brooklyn fairies will get you to this island, named for those who held lofty government jobs. Uh, Willa tried what is Staten Island. You certainly can take a ferry from Manhattan to Staten, I- Staten Island, probably from Brooklyn too. I don't know. I don't. I don't have like the whole ferry map memorized. Um, but not Staten Island. Governor's Island is the correct response here. There's a whole bunch of like little islands in the rivers around the boroughs of New York. Um, so Governor's Island is one, uh, Roosevelt Island, Randall's Island, Rikers Island. Yeah, bunch bunch of little islands. Governor's Island is like largely kind of a park, like recreation, like green space, no cars allowed. Mm. Um kind of kind of place there's a lot of like special events and like art art installations and those kinds of things there Hmm. uh daily double number two comes up at the 10th pick at the 1600 dollar level of dig that archaeology and i think this is the point where ken remarked well we can't let them catch up if you keep finding the daily doubles um (laughs) (laughs) to andrew uh at this point andrew's at twenty four thousand six hundred to Willow's 3,600 and Tucker's 4,000. And Andrew wagers just 2,000 and gets the clue. Excavating on this island around 1900, Sir Arthur Evans identified an ancient palace and a possible labyrinth. And he gets that one correct with what is Crete. Yeah. And daily double number three is pick number 16. It's at the $1,600 level of fairies. Andrew also finds this one. He is up to 27,000 at this point. Will is at 6,000 and Tucker's at 5,200. And he wagers just 2,000. And gets the clue, the Green River Ferry can help you get around inside this vast national park in and under Kentucky. Uh, and he doesn't know it. He guesses what is Wind Cave, which I think it was more, more meant like Cave of the Winds. Um, mm-hmm. But that's Mammoth Cave. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Andrew has a lot game with 25,800. Uh, Willa has made it up to 9,200 and Tucker to 9,600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Priceless Objects. 
and the clue, it dates back to the French blue, which was set in gold and suspended from a neck ribbon when Louis XIV wore it on ceremonial occasions. Willa wrote and then crossed out what is cordon bleu and then had the word blue and said, uh, Ken, Ken said, Willa, were you changing your answer? And she said, yes, I was. Um, I was going to put it in English. In any case, it's not correct in French or in English. She's wagered 7,500. That drops her down to 1,700. Tucker tried, what is the Croix de Guerre? And uh, that's not correct either. He's wagered 95.99, which drops him down to a dollar. He'll finish in third place. Andrew, <laughs> responding to the category priceless objects, has responded, what is MasterCard? That's, I, I, I appreciate a good joke. That was clever. Um, yes. Yep. It's very clever. And he's wagered 5,500. You don't get, you don't get credit for a good joke. So that'll drop him down to 20,300. And they were looking for the Hope Diamond, the famous blue diamond, which, uh, is, uh, in the Smithsonian at this time. Yeah. I, I guessed that one correctly. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I, that was one of the things I threw out. I didn't come up with, I didn't actually settle on it because for some reason in my mind, I thought that the Kui Noor and the Hope Diamond were the same thing. Oh. And like just different names for the same object, which they are oh, yeah, absolutely no. not. They're very different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's where I ended up. <laughs> yeah. So, but with 20,300, uh, Andrew is our two day champion. 72,301. That's a lot of money. That's that's a lot of money. And on Friday, we have the contestants Brennan Harkin, a business analyst from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Dorothy Lamb Fry, a radiologist from Chicago, Illinois, and Andrew He, a software developer from San Francisco, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $72,301. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Good Deeds, 20th Century Fiction, Disney Plus, all of the programs in the category, are streaming on Disney Plus. Around the House, 200 Years Ago, and American Heritage Dictionary Preferred Plurals. And none of them end in the letter S, as Ken informs us. Mm-hmm. Yes. I enjoyed that one. I did as well. That was a that was a fun category. Except at the $400 level is a triple stumper. The clue is tuna. And the correct response is tuna. Mm-hmm. Nobody went for it, which I don't know if I've, I I don't know that I blame them. I don't know if I would have rung in with like, I think it's just tuna. Just the same is word it, that was on the. Yeah, is because yeah. that seems like a trick. So I don't you know, I don't blame them. Yep. I, and it's only 400. It's not mm-hmm. like it's a, a big one. Yeah. The other two contestants besides Andrew struggled to get into the positive. Yes, they did. And stay in the positive. I especially felt for Brennan, who was clearly trying mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm sure got beaten on the buzzer on a lot of things that he did know. Right. Um, but had to, had to, he didn't have to, but he, he opted to ring in, I assume, on a lot of things that were, you know, pretty reasonable guesses. His guesses were fine. Yeah. Um, and just had some, had some rough luck. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of his misses was in the $400 of good deeds. David Rubenstein gave the National Archives a print of this document struck from an 1823 copper engraving plate. Hands off, Nick Cage. Uh, he guessed what is the Constitution, 
which is in the right ballpark. Mm-hmm. But Andrew picked up the rebound with the Declaration of Independence. I don't know how often mm-hmm. uh, national treasure comes up as a joke in your world, but it seems to come up pretty often. Often. <laughs> yeah. Often. <laughs> like, we'll steal the Declaration of Independence as, yeah, mm-hmm. comes up a lot. Yep. Somebody's Nick Cage in National Treasure Halloween costume was all over my TikTok <laughs> for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in the 20th century fiction category at the $400 level, and Dorothy finds it at the sixth pick. She's at 200 at this point. Andrew's at 2000. Brennan is at negative 2000. And she hesitates for a second and Ken reminds her that she can wager up to a thousand. I, I think she knew. You know, I, I, I appreciate him supporting and encouraging the contestants along. She does wager a thousand and she gets the clue. William Peter Blatty really turned heads with this 1971 bestseller. And she freezes up. She can't figure out what it's getting at. Um, I couldn't even either, even though I believe I wrote a paper on this film on the film of this book at one point once you know it it seems obvious but uh it's the exorcist yeah 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 way back in college i took a class on religion and american film Mm. um and wrote a paper on children and evil uh Mm. where the exorcist was one of my films if i remember correctly yeah I know the film better than I know the book, which I haven't read. I know it exists, but, you know, I I think William Peter Blatty has never really stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, And then Turned Heads is like a giveaway. Feels like it should be a giveaway. But if you're if you're like turned heads, like somebody was attractive, right? Like, you know, like, what does that mean? You know, is is there a is there some kind of neck pun? Like, yeah. Like, um, what's this getting at? If you, if you don't. Like it, it could go a lot of directions if you if you can't quite place it. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Andrew's at 10,000. Dorothy's at 800. Uh, so she's made it back out of the red after missing that daily double. Brennan uh, has come back up a little bit to negative 1,400, but still in the red. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. The Civil Rights Movement, Movies by Oscar winning songs, Train Stations, Synonyms, Musical instruments and A in science, A in quotation marks, uh-huh. as opposed to F in science. Right, which they science. they tend which to we go had for last week or the week before. Yeah. Yeah. In that musical instruments category, uh, the twelve hundred dollar level was a. I'm not sure how I feel about it. The clue is Stradivarius also made these. About a dozen survive, and the one seen here has been offered by Sotheby's for forty five million dollars. They showed a picture. And Dorothy rang in and kind of rightfully guessed what are violins. That's incorrect. And Andrew got the rebound on what are violas. I, I guess the the clue of also, yeah, point, should like was the clue that like it's not a violin. I yeah I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a bit trickier than maybe was fair because I yeah. Like, because there was nothing in the clue that actually pointed to it being a viola other than the picture. And really, it's it it's hard to tell. Yeah, there was a picture. But it's hard to tell the difference between a viola and a violin just yeah. by looking at I mean, it, especially if you don't have one next to the other. Right. I could tell by looking that it was a viola, but I was a violinist and that's, uh, right. for, like, for I, like years. Right. And so right. I see a picture of viola and I'm like, no, too large. 
Yeah, and but, I, I, I agree know, with you there. But I also, yeah, I just, I don't know. I felt that it was... Yeah. I felt that there needed to be something a little more pointing toward Viola. Yeah, about a dozen survive also. I mean, but this is all because I sort of know kind of the world of violins and that, like, clearly there are more than a dozen Stradivarius violins in the world right now. Um, right. So, you know, that that feels like a clue also if you're familiar, but it's not that helpful if you if you don't know. Um, yeah. it, I just, if there had been, if there had just been something about Something that pointed to viola specifically rather than just like not violin or even just or even just like coming out and saying in addition to violins. Right. I mean that. Yeah. I don't know. know. Yeah. Maybe that would have made it too easy. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Daily double number two is in the train stations category at the sixteen hundred dollar level. It is pick number two. Andrew finds it. Uh, he is at 12,000. Dorothy's at 800 and Brennan is at negative 1400 and he wagers 6,000. It's the clue. Now in mid renovation, this historic Baltimore station has the same name as a New York city station that was famously demolished. And he doesn't know it. He guesses what is union station. Uh, but it was Penn station that apparently was demolished in the sixties. Yes. And rebuilt terrible. Hmm. Yet again, trivia apparently originates from new york Mm-hmm. yes the closer to new york something is the more relevant it is to everyone yep um and that is what makes it trivia that's right <laughs> i don't think there's any time i have ever gone to penn station and had a good day <laughs> and been satisfied it's a miserable place yeah it is a a place of misery all right, Daily Double number three is in the synonyms category. And Andrew finds this one as well at the 10th pick. It's at the $1,600 level. So he's getting these both off the board pretty early in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at 12800 at this point. Dorothy has dropped down into the red. She's at negative 400 But Brennan's made it back up out of the red. He's at 200 Andrew wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. This animal is a synonym for evasive or sneaky, as it was thought to suck out the contents of an egg while leaving the shell intact. And he thought it about it for a little bit. I have a little bit of a problem with the writing here, I think. But he does get it correct. Uh, they're looking for weasel. And I guess my problem here is evasive and sneaky are adjectives. But I don't know that i've seen weasel used as an adjective i've seen it i've seen weaselly right and i have seen someone is a weasel yeah or uh to to weasel right he's weaseling out of blah 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 right but i haven't seen weasel as an adjective that i can think of yeah um that's a good point and so he hesitated for a second and i i wonder if he was having that same hesitation as me that somehow weasel doesn't quite fit in terms of like parts of speech Mm -hmm. with the way the clue is written. I agree. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Andrew is in a locked position with 24,800, which is, I don't know, 16 times more than the other two. Dorothy's at 1600. Mm -hmm. Brennan's at 1800. Uh, They, the two of them just could not, could not get anything going. and, And Andrew just dominated the whole time. 
Uh, they get the Final Jeopardy category Contemporary Playwrights, and the clue The Murder of Gonzago is used as a play within a 1966 play by this man who is inspired by Shakespeare. Uh, Dorothy wrote Who is Miller? That is incorrect and wagered 1,000, so she drops to 600. Brennan wrote Who Arthur Miller? Which is still incorrect and wagered 1,700, um, so he drops to 100. And Andrew got it correct with Who is Stoppard? As in Tom Stoppard, mm-hmm. the absurdist. Yep. Uh, with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Which I did not get around to that name, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Of course that's it. I was just proud that yeah, I remembered I... any 20th century playwrights at all. Yes, I had the world's dumbest thought process where I thought 20th century playwright Stoppard. And then I was like, stop it, Emily. You always think of Stoppard. Like, go to the, you know, like, <laughs> go to the more common ones. Mammoth. Albie. Right? Like, who are we supposed to be thinking about here? And then I was like, no, wait, it is Stoppard. Um, but, like, we were in the last bar of the of the thinking music at mm-hmm. that point. So, like, if I had been playing, I definitely would have missed it. Well, that's why you write really fast and kind of illegibly to say, like, no, it's just what yeah. it says. This mm-hmm. is what it says. Yeah. So, Andrew wins his third game. Another big payday. He wagered 10000 so he's up to 34800 And he's over $100,000 within three games. So, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Looks like we might have another Tournament of Champions contender on our hands here in just, what, five weeks? However many weeks this season has been going? Six weeks? It's yeah. incredible. No, that's, yeah. This is the season of Super Champs so yeah, far. It's, it's very impressive. Okay, so this is the point in the episode where we take a break and remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potentpotables. Uh, You can go there to support us financially if you feel so inclined. We super duper appreciate it. Uh, Everyone who has been contributing and continues to uh, be new contributors, we very, very much appreciate it. Uh, It has gotten us to the point where we are in negotiations i don't know we're we're talking to someone who might be taking over the uh, audio editing uh portion which would be super awesome um so we we have enough to kind of get us moving in that direction uh to be totally transparent uh it's you know the amount we're bringing in each month is still not exactly enough to like break even uh, but we have some some banks that will give us a runway to be able to kind of reach there. So uh, if you have been thinking about contributing, you know, even like three dollars a month or whatever, uh, and you haven't done so, we would really appreciate it. Uh, that would help us get to the point where everything is kind of like, you know, uh, reaching zero every month moving forward. But again, we, we really appreciate those who have. Uh, we have some stuff on there. We have some exclusive content and we will continue to add exclusive content uh, as we move forward, especially as we're kind of pushing this for you. So check it out. It's patreon.com slash potent And if that is not something you can do as well as uh, support more important things than a podcast, then we strongly encourage you to check out blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the uh, Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe uh, lists to find a place where you can direct your money uh, to something a little bit more worthwhile, if that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Emily, what are your deep dive guesses? All right, 
Um, are we talking about Simone Bolivar? Ooh, no, but very top, like one of one of my, one of the three, one of the top three, definitely okay. looked into it. Okay, are we talking about the Hope Diamond? We are talking about the Hope Diamond. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was I was worried I kind of gave it away a little bit when I t- very obviously said I don't know anything about this. Mm. That final Jeopardy uh, was on Thursday. We, I mean, we just talked about it, but, but yeah, the Hope Diamond is, is what that, uh, is from. And so I realized like, oh, I thought that and a completely different diamond were the same thing. I should probably learn a little bit about these because they do come up an awful lot in trivia. So yeah, we're just going to talk about the Hope Diamond real quick and then we'll have a quiz. Awesome. So, uh, the Hope Diamond, one of the most famous jewels in the world. It has ownership records dating back almost four centuries. It has a blue color uh, due to trace amounts of boron atoms within the uh, carbon of the diamond. It is known, uh, also known as Le Bijou du Roi, the King's Jewel, or France's Blue, or the Tavernier Blue. Um, it is a 45.52 carat or 9.104 gram deep blue diamond. That's large. Yeah, it's big. And it is now housed in the National Gem and Mineral Collection at the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. It is classified as a type 2B diamond, which I'm not going to get into the different types. But they are separated into five types, type 1A, type 1B, type 1AB, type 2A, and type 2B. Uh, it has to do with their impurities and, like, types of chemical impurities. But I'm not going to go into those. So, like, like I said, it's 45.52 carats with a C, C-A-R-A-T-S, uh, or 9.104 grams. Uh, that was determined in this December 1988 by the Gemological Institute of America. It has been compared in size and shape to a pigeon egg or a walnut that is pear-shaped. Its length, width, and depth are 25.6 millimeters by 21.78 millimeters by 12 millimeters, or just about an inch by 7 eighths of an inch by 15 30 seconds of an inch. Uh, It has been described as a fancy dark grayish blue or dark blue or steely blue. It is a blue diamond. Uh, Various descriptions of blue depending on like the time period and where they're from it is often compared to a sapphire or at least was as it was written about through the through the centuries Uh, it exhibits an unusually intense brilliant red phosphorescence after exposure to shortwave ultraviolet light and that glow-in-the-dark effect persists for some time Hmm. that that quality may have helped fuel its reputation of being cursed Mm. As as we'll talk about, it is supposedly cursed, but pretty much every like famous gem in the world is supposedly cursed. Uh, the clarity was determined to be VS1 with whitish graining present. What does that mean? Not going to get into it. But it is VS1 clarity, which is pretty clear. Does uh, the, the V stand for very something? I feel like... P- probably. Yeah. Probably. Uh, the cut was described as being cushion antique brilliant with a faceted girdle and extra facets on the pavilion Mm. again i'm not going to get into like gemology there's 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 a part of my brain that still knows what that means from a different part of my life (laughs) 
Mm, yes. Uh, I knew what some of these things meant when I was shopping for a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped caring about it again. <laughs> yep. Um, it was removed from its setting in 2010 to measure its chemical composition. Uh, and they detected the presence of boron, hydrogen, and possibly nitrogen. Uh, and of course, it's pretty much all carbon anyway. Um, as we, as I said, the boron is responsible for causing the blue color. And it is described as cool to the touch. Hmm. As with all diamonds, it was formed deep within the earth when carbon atoms form strong bonds. Uh, it was embedded in a, a substance called kimberlite, which is an igneous rock which sometimes contains diamonds. Uh, that is named after the town of Kimberley in South Africa, uh, where the discovery of the diamond called the Star of South Africa in 1869 spawned a diamond rush. <coughs> so that, that substance uh, has that name, which I thought was interesting for trivia people. Several accounts based on remarks written by the French gem merchant Jean-Baptiste Tavernier, who obtained the gem in India in 1666, suggest that it did originate in India in the Kohler mine, uh, which is the same mine, or at least mine system, that the Kohinoor also originated in, as well as a number of other fairly large diamonds. It's unclear who initially owned the gemstone, but historical records suggest that Tavernier obtained it in 1666, possibly by theft. He brought it to Paris, and it became known as the Tavernier Blue Diamond. It was estimated to be 112.23 carats before it was cut. Tavernier's book, The Six Voyages, contains sketches of several large diamonds that he sold to Louis XIV in 1668 or 69, uh, and the blue diamond was among these. In 1678, Louis XIV commissioned the court jeweler Jean Pitot to recut the Tavernier blue, and uh, it cut it down to 67.125 carats, which is a pretty big change, mm-hmm. uh, almost half. Uh, and at, thereafter, it was listed as the Blue Diamond of the Crown of France. English-speaking historians have simply called it the French Blue since then, which is like the which is from the the uh, Jeopardy clue. Uh, it was set in gold and supported by a ribbon for the neck, which was worn by the king during ceremonies. Uh, so that's kind of known as the Great Golden Fleece of King Louis. And it's a I'll put a picture, I guess, in the Patreon, or I'll link a picture to it. It's a in my mind extremely gaudy. It is, it is like, colorful and, like, oddly shaped. It's weird. Uh, it's hard to describe, but you'll see. In 1749, Louis XIV, great-grandson Louis XV, uh, like I said, had it set in the uh, Golden Fleece. Uh, it became the property of Louis XVI after Louis XV's death, um, and Queen Marie Antoinette used many of the French crown jewels for personal adornment, but but notably uh, not including the French blue. It is, it is believed that she never actually wore it. Uh, so Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were obviously murdered during the Reign of Terror, uh, and during that time, in 1792, a group of thieves broke into the royal storehouse, and they went on a five-day looting spree of the crown jewels. And while many other jewels were recovered, the pieces... Uh, some pieces of the Order of the Golden Fleece and the French Blue were not among them and disappeared from history for a time. So it was f- believed, like, part of the curse that thought was on it was, like, Marie Antoinette was, and Louis the Fort- Louis Sixteenth were beheaded, which was, like, part of the curse. But again, there's no actual proof that Marie Antoinette ever wore it. A likely scenario was that uh, soon after Louis the Sixteenth was beheaded, 
Uh, the blue diamond was swiftly smuggled to London and recut uh, kind of secretly. It's kind of believed that the Hope Diamond was cut from the French blue. Historians are pretty sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Based on based on finding uh, three-dimensional leaden models in the Paris National Museum of Natural History uh, that showed the dimensions of the French blue and finding that those details are identical to the Hope Diamond. So it's like, we're, we're pretty sure. So the blue diamond uh, that became known as the Hope Diamond was recorded in the possession of a London diamond merchant, Daniel Eliasson, in September 1812. This is like when we can, when it resurfaced. Uh, it was a very massive blue stone of 45.54 carats. And this was 20 years after the theft of the French blue and a few days, which meant that uh, apparently a statue of limitations uh, for like jewel theft or whatever was 20 years. So because it was just past 20 years, uh, no one could be prosecuted for its theft. So the stone was later reported to have been acquired by a rich London banker named Thomas Hope. And it was been suggested that Eliazon may have been a front for Hope, you know, not not wanting to like risk his own money or risk his own reputation to get this ill-gotten diamond. But by 1839, uh, it appeared in a published catalog of the gen collection of Henry Philip Hope, who was a member of the same Anglo-Dutch banking family. And so this is where it becomes known as the Hope Diamond. Philip Henry Hope died in 1839, uh, and his three nephews fought in court for 10 years over it, but ultimately the collection was split, and the oldest nephew, Henry Thomas Hope, uh, received the Hope Diamond along with other things. It was displayed in the Great Exhibition of London in 1851, and the 1855 Exposition Universelle in Paris, uh, but was usually kept in a bank vault. It passed through his uh, to his wife, who then, uh, when she died, uh, it was entrusted to her younger son, Henry Francis Pelham Clinton, uh, as long as on the condition that the name Hope was uh, legally added to his surname. Uh, as Lord Francis Hope, this grandson received his legacy in 1887. Um, however, he couldn't sell it without court permission. He met the American concert hall singer May Yohi, uh, who's been described as the sensation of two continents. They were married. And one account suggests that Yohi wore the Hope Diamond for at least one occasion. Hmm. Francis then was bankrupt, and uh, he sold the diamond for £29,000, which is $3.17 million today, to a London jewel merchant uh, named Adolf Weil. Weil later sold it to diamond dealer Simon Frankel, based in New York, uh, who brought it to New York. And that's how it got to the United States. Uh, there are varied accounts about what happened to it uh, from 1902 to 1907. But in 1908, Frankel sold the diamond for $400,000 or $11.52 million today to Solomon or Salim. It's not, we're not sure what, like, it's not clear what his name actually was. Solomon or Salim Habib, a wealthy Turkish diamond collector, reportedly on behalf of Sultan Abdul Hamid of the Ottoman Empire. However, Habib uh, auctioned the stone off to settle his own debts in 1909. At that point, the Parisian jewel merchant Simon Rossinel bought the Hope Diamond for 400 francs and then resold it to Pierre Cartier uh, in 1910. And Cartier tried to sell the Hope Diamond to uh, Washington, D.C. socialite Evelyn Walsh McLean and her husband in 1910. 
they were both very interested, but then uh, they kind of backed off because they heard that it was cursed. There was a history of misfortunes that had beset its various owners. But eventually, their deal went through. But in 1911, the couple bought the gem for over $300,000. Hmm. So McLean wore it, uh, the Lady McLean, wore it on a number of occasions. There were reports that she actually misplaced it at parties deliberately and frequently, and then made uh, a children's game out of finding the hope. And at times she hid the diamond somewhere on her estate uh, during their parties, which is like, huh, huh. but it was never stolen. <laughs> when she died in 1947, she bequeathed the diamond to her grandchildren through a will which uh, insisted that it would remain in the custody of trustees until the eldest had reached 25. Um, and this, the requirement would then have prevented any sale for the next two decades. Um, however, the trustees gained permission to sell her jewels to settle her debts. Uh, and in 1949, sold them to New York diamond merchant Harry Winston. He bought their entire jewelry collection. Uh, and Harry Winston is the one who uh, then gave it to the... National Museum of Natural History on November 10th, 1958. He sent it through the U.S. mail in a box wrapped in brown paper as simple registered mail. Oh my God. <laughs> insured for a million dollars at a cost of $145.29. The thing about insuring something that you're mailing is that it doesn't matter how much you insure it for. If they lose it, you can't get the thing. You can only get the money. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Yeah, he'd been, he'd, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, he'd been convinced to donate it for the purpose of a national gem collection. Uh, Winston uh, had never believed in any tales of the curse, and he donated it with the hope uh, of establishing that collection. <laughs> so, uh, since then, the uh, Hope Diamond has remained in the uh, National Museum of Natural History, which, which of course, is part of the Smithsonian uh, Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been removed from its setting from time to time for cleaning, uh, but it's pretty much always been on public display by itself. So there was a lot of changes of hands, right? And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of like superstition around it. There's a reputed curse or whatever, supposedly a bunch of things like uh, New York Times article in 1911 gave a list of supposed cases of ill fortune, like Jacques Collet bought the Hope Diamond from Simon Frankel and died by suicide. Prince Ivan Konotovsky bought it from Collet, but was killed by Russian revolutionists. Uh, Konotovsky loaned it to Mililaude, who was murdered by her sweetheart. Sultan Hamid gave it to Abu Sabir to polish, but later, later Sabir was imprisoned and tortured. Um, supposedly, Tavernier, who brought the stone from India, was torn to pieces by wild dogs in Constantinople. Uh, and, you know, like, you know, Louis and Marie Antoinette and all this, all this other stuff. Her historical records have shown that Tavernier at least lived well into his eighties and was not torn to pieces by dogs or wolves in Constantinople. Um, there's, there's yeah. pretty much no record of most of these things. It just kind of grew up around it. And then, uh, you know, certain like popular fiction, such as the novel, the moonstone from 1868, it created a coherent narrative from vague and largely disregarded legends that had been attached to other diamonds, such as the Kuinor and the Orloff diamond. Uh, so it kind of coalesced all those different legends into one story and that kind of, you know, uh, played on people's minds. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's, that's the Hope Diamond. Uh, or at least a little bit about it. 
And now I'll remember at least where it is and what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've seen it at some point. I've been to Washington, D.C., you know, a couple of times and done a bunch of Smithsonian mm-hmm. museums. Oh, I'm, sh- um, I'm sure I've seen it. I've been to the Natural History Museum a dozen yeah. times, probably. Yeah. I remember there was like a, like, highlights of the Smithsonian tour that came up to... I think I saw it in Rhode Island when I was a kid, but I'm trying to find information about it because I ha- I feel like I have a memory of seeing the Hope Diamond then, but I don't think that they let the Hope Diamond tour. I'm not, um, I'm finding like stuff about that tour and they're like, oh, they had like Kermit the Frog and Dorothy's Ruby Slippers. Um, mm, so yeah. I think, I think I am combining multiple memories. Sure. Yeah. But, but this was great. Thanks. Cool. All right. So here comes a quiz. Ooh, a quiz. Uh, yeah, so the the five questions before the final are the five C's of oh. diamonds, which are cut, color, carrot, clarity, and confidence, hmm. which I found the fifth C. I saw it from, like, multiple sources, but I, I have a feeling that just has, like, that's just how good is the diamond seller at selling things. Yeah. Anyway, so All here right. we go. Question one. Avulsions tears split stretch and chop are all types of what kind of irregular wounds caused by blunt trauma avulsions tears oh which i will say that last part caught me by surprise when i was looking this up avulsion tear split stretch and chop they're caused by blunt force trauma I'm like running through my like first aid, like first aid mm-hmm. textbook in my brain. Avulsion is when something like this is like like comes like all the way off, right? Like a piece, like you know, like <laughs> yeah. Let's get real graphic that's, here. That's the that's the that's the the terrifying one where you turn the page real fast. Yes. Um, like oh, I hope I never have to deal with that. Oh my god. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, I'm not sure that like sort of set of words I'm thinking of are like the right direction. I, I'm thinking of like lacerations, abrasions, contusions. But laceration is really any cut. Um, so that doesn't seem right because that includes kind of, you know, like sharp object Abrasion doesn't seem quite right, but it's the closest of anything I've thought of, and I've stalled for quite a while, so I'm going to go with abrasion. Oh, it's lacerations. It's lacerations? Oh, yeah. no! So, so what I found, like, the thing that surprised me was like, oh, weird, blunt trauma? Incisions are things that are made with sharp objects oh incision oh so an, an irregular a laceration is an Ill- irregular wound with like you know it has a it has an irregular shape or like i did not torn remember opening. that or maybe didn't know it at, at all ever. yeah well oh, that's what i'm that's saying like i came across that and i was like oh weird uh you know like laceration yeah, to i mean me my initial reaction cut. was laceration of like no laceration includes cutting with a knife that's not like that doesn't fit but and that's what i'm no, thinking like correct uh, yeah, and and you know there might be people who know better and say like actually you know it does count whatever and you can let me know but from from my brief research those are types of lacerations. 
I should have gone with my gut there. Oh. Yeah. That's okay. right. You still have 10 points because you got the... That's true. I do. So yeah. you got a free one. All right. Uh, question two. In Living Color was an American sketch comedy show featuring mostly African-American actors and comedians, including Jamie Foxx and Chris Rock. It was created by two members of what family and starred three additional members of that family? Uh, so for 10 points, just give me the last name. And for an extra point each, you can give me any of their first names, too. Hmm. I don't know if I know it. I'm trying to even come up with a non-embarrassing guess. <sighs> Probably off here, but I'll go with Pryor. Uh, it is the Wayans. Oh, of course it is. Okay. So... Keenan and Damon are the creators, and then Kim, Sean, and Marlon Wayans were also uh, featured on the show. Nice. Okay. All right. I recognize that name now that you say it. I have a big uh, blind spot around sketch comedy shows that are not Saturday Night Live. Sure. Um, so that that's definitely something I need to work on. Right, because Saturday Night Live is from New York, and we don't have to, yeah, well, you know, a little closer to yeah, it's, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Also, right. Saturday Night Live is like the biggest one. So right. Of it's, course. It's, it's it's not a yeah. That's fine. All right. Well, let, uh, here we go. I hope you're ready for some math. All right. Okay. Question right. question three. Carrot with a C refers to a diamond's weight. Carrot with a K refers to the proportion of gold in a given alloy. Here's time for some math. If a suitor wants to give you a ring but still keep their options open, they might give you a 9-carat gold ring. What percentage of the ring is actually gold? Hmm. And I'll allow a calculator on this. If you, if you want to do All right. 9-carat... So 24 carat comes to mind as like the best. So I don't know if that's actually like a hundred percent, but I don't have any, like I, if it's not that I'm, that I'm, you know, that I am like just completely flying blind here. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, if 24 carat gold is a hundred percent, wait, how do I X out of 100 is equal to nine out of 900. Divided by 24 is, I'm not using a calculator. I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Good for you. Because I'm stubborn. <laughs> Maybe I should fact check myself so that I don't trip at the finish line. If I remember how to do math and if 24 karat gold is in fact pure gold, then 37 and a half percent. That is correct. Yes. Nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Redemption. Right. 20, 24 carat is 100% gold. So any any other carat is just the basically proportion of gold in the alloy. Mm -hmm. Nice job. Good good way to get there. Way to work through it. Yeah. Um, Do the all work. Right. There we go. Question four. You are at 20 points. This, this might land, I don't know, it might land a little bit late for your late 90s pop music, but we'll see. One memorable line from the band 311 is, Through Chaos Comes Clarity, which can predictably be found on the 2001 album From Chaos and the song From Chaos. Another, perhaps better known line off the same album 
declares that what is the color of your energy? Hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. If it's not an immediate one. Oh, no. Uh, oh, is it like an obscure? Is it a, like a weird color? I guess you can't tell me. Probably. It probably. I've heard the song, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think I know it. Let's guess a color. Um, Turquoise. No, it is amber. Oh, okay. Amber is the color of your energy. Okay. Whoa. Huh. Again, again, it's not it's not late nineties, it's early two thousands, so it's probably just probably just passed you by. Yeah, I, I may have I may have missed that one. Oof. Um I feel like we should have like a like a private Spotify playlist for Patreon supporters. Now that, <laughs> now that, we, now that I'm, my mind is on like all of the pop music songs that we that we have revealed, we don't know. That's a good point, quizzes. actually. That that's a really good point. Yeah, our Patreon subscribers can give us money and also help us learn pop music. Um, I made this quiz a lot harder than I intended. I, I apologize. That's, that's um, like the that's like the theme of the last like six months for that, both of us. That, that's fair. All right. Uh, question five, uh, and my my encouragement here is to remember the five C's. So here we go. Samuel Thompson was the first person to be referred to using what two word term? His career was not particularly successful. And his later fame was a result of misinterpreted sarcasm in a newspaper article written about his exploits. That article also led to police. Oh, sorry. That article also led police to classify the con- the kinds of fraudulent acts that Thompson had perpetrated. All right. Um, so actually, this uh, this response popped into my head as like what I would do for for this for this C if I, I mean I don't I don't know the particular guy but I was sure. like oh I would definitely like make a reference to a, a confidence man or a con man which is correct um, yes yeah yeah all right yeah so apparently <laughs> apparently this guy was like the first confidence man uh, and he was just really bad at it basically he just like asked people to give them to give him their money hmm. I don't know why and then he was like arrested and a newspaper article was written about him that was like kind of mocking him and like, huh. you know, like playing up all of his frauds as though it's a really big deal. And apparently people just like bought it, didn't know that it was sarcastic. Uh, so he gained a lot of fame as like the original con man, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though he was really bad at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? I, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I should bring it back around to Nicolas Cage and be like, matchstick men. I haven't is a is a con artist film that I remember liking a lot, although I haven't seen it since I was like literally a teenager. So I don't know if it's actually any good. But was that where he plays two different people? Uh, or is that a different? I don't think so. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Nicholas Cage has been in everything. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you have 30 points. It's been worse going into finals. It's been worse. Uh, and the final uh, category is simply diamond. The response, of course, is going to be Rihanna. Um, it's it's not. I can. I'll just <laughs> I'll just leave it at diamond. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. I will wager twenty five. Okay. Here we go. 
The plot of a 1989 movie starring Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones revolves around the construction of a particular diamond in a particular place meant to attract spirits from beyond the grave. That diamond still exists and can be visited in what U.S. state? Hmm. If I told you that it was a sports-related movie. Oh. 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 Well, darn it. It's... Field of Dreams is the movie, and I should know what um, what state that is in specifically. Um, you, but it's can... far it's far from New York, and therefore <laughs> and therefore not important. <laughs> not not relevant to trivia. Can Can you picture it? Have you seen the movie? I actually haven't seen Field of Dreams. Oh, have I you have seen not. any scenes from it? Yes, I'm sure I have. Yes, yes. Okay, I so have. what what can you picture? It's like it's like cornfields, right? Or am I am I picturing the wrong? And where does that bring you? There are a lot of places that have cornfields, Kyle. <laughs> I, I know, but uh, yeah, yeah. I know. But okay, so there, there's a part of me that says Kansas. There's a part of me that says Iowa. But like, if I I think you're I think you're pushing me toward Iowa. I'm gonna go Iowa. It is Iowa. Yes. yes. Ah, it's Iowa. Well done. You got there. <laughs> yes. That was probably not as nerve wracking as hiding the Hope Diamond and seeing if some kids can find it before somebody steals it. Um, you know, she did but, it multiple times, so it must not have been that nerve wracking. Or, anyway, or, or she I likes to live dangerously. I, what is it like to be rich? I, yeah. I can't, I cannot put my head. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you got 55 points. Not Yay. bad. Really, All really, right. yeah, that's a, that's a respectable amount. Pulled it out in the end there. All yeah. right. That was, well, that was fun. Um, and thrilling. <laughs> um, well, thanks. Thanks for the deep dive and the quiz. And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating or review. If you would, if you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables and Twitter at Potent Potables 1. You can email us at PotentPotablesCast at gmail.com and our website is PotentPod.com. We'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Quicker.